During the hot afternoon of July 21, 1861, in Manassas, Virginia, the first major battle of the Civil War came to a sudden end. The entire Union Army commenced a universal retreat from the battlefield and fled all the way back to Washington, D.C. This was a victory entirely unexpected by the rebels. In the days following the disaster, the North was in despair and couldn't understand the sudden retreat of federal troops from the battlefield. The secret of that panic, according to the New York Daily Tribune, will perhaps never be known. All essay to explain it, and all fell. Ellen White, however, provided her readers with a unique explanation of the battle's end. An angel caused the retreat. Welcome to the Ellen White Podcast. Here is your host, Dr. Judd Lake. Welcome back, friends, to my series on the Civil War. This episode is entitled, An Angel on the Battlefield. The expectation that the war would be over in one major battle was shattered, and a season of public gloom cast its shadow over the North. In the columns of the Review and Herald, one writer cited the words of a friend who expressed the national sentiment. Nothing but war, 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 in every man's mouth. In the context of this national feeling, James and Ellen White left Michigan on an eastern tour and reached Roosevelt, New York. Two weeks after the battle in Manassas on August 3, while attending a conference at the Roosevelt Church, Ellen White experienced her second war vision that brought encouragement to her fellow believers. Her insights gave these church members a sense of security and confidence in the midst of the recent loss. The Roosevelt vision addressed the philosophy of the war and the sin of slavery, but at its core, it was a description of the Battle of First Manassas, or Bull Run, which pulled back the veil that hid the invisible world. This is recorded in Testimonies, Volume 1, page 266 and 267. Ellen White wrote, I had a view of the late disastrous battle at Manassas, Virginia. It was a most exciting, thrilling, distressing scene. The Southern Army had everything in their favor and were prepared for a dreadful contest. The Northern Army was moving on with triumph, not doubting but that, that they would be victorious. Many were reckless and marched forward boastingly, as though victory were already theirs. As they neared the battlefield, many were almost fainting through weariness and want of refreshment. They did not expect so fierce an encounter. They rushed into battle and fought bravely, desperately. The dead and dying were on every side. Both the North and the South suffered severely. The Southern men felt the battle and in a little while would have been driven back still further. Northern men were rushing on, although their destruction was very great. Just then an angel descended and waved his hand backward. Instantly, there was confusion in their ranks. It appeared to the northern men that their troops were retreating, when it was not in reality so, and a precipitate retreat commenced. This seemed wonderful to me. Then it was explained that God had this nation in his own hand, and would suffer no victories to be gained faster than he ordained, and no more losses to the northern men than in his wisdom he saw fit to punish the north for their sin. And in this, and in this battle, 
had the Northern Army pushed the battle still further in their fainting, exhausted, exhausted condition, a far greater struggle and destruction awaited them, which would have caused great triumph in the South. God would not permit this and sent an angel to interfere. The sudden falling back of the northern troops was a mystery to all. They knew not that God's hand was in the matter. Quite a remarkable statement. Of all of Ellen White's comments in the Civil War, this one is the most outstanding and the most interesting. An angel on the battlefield. My purpose in this episode is to analyze the heart of this passage I just read. I have a chapter in my book, A Nation in God's Hands, Ellen White and the Civil War, where I unpack this entire statement I just read, phrase by phrase, and compare it with all the records and testimonies of what actually happened before and during and after the battle. I won't take time to do all that because it's in the chapter. If you're interested, you can read that in more detail. I'm just going to hit the heart of it, which deals with the retreat itself and what Ellen White said about it. The point of this testimony is that God would control the battles of the oncoming war in such a way as to accomplish his purposes of punishing the nation, yet giving the North victory in the end. Lee Yusey, who made the first attempt to study this battle in relation to Ellen White's vision, posed the following questions in his 1965 master's thesis. Is her account plausible? What evidence is there to support such a conception of the panic? Must one discard this as a theory not meriting consideration, or can it become a part of one's ponderable information? UC's work is foundational, and I've used that in my research on the Civil War, and particularly this battle. In chapter 2 of his, his master's thesis, he, he has a very uh, helpful account an interpretation of this battle from the perspective of Ellen White's vision. I have built on his chapter in his master's thesis. I've updated it with the wealth of research in the battle since 1965. Now, the contents of the vision can be summarized in the following points. One, the Confederates had prepared to fight at this place. Two, the encounter was determined and hard fought while the reckless Northerners expected a victory to be within their grasp. Three, the stampede occurred as the Southerners were about to withdraw. Four, the Federal troops would have suffered an awful decimation had they pressed their advances still deeper into the, into the Confederate front. Five, at this critical moment, confusion struck the attacking regiments of the Union troops. They concluded that their front ranks were in retreat, when actually they had not been absolutely repulsed. Six, the assaulting forces broke into sudden confusion and abandoned the field. Seven, God had this nation in his hand and would intervene in the battles. And eight, emancipation was at stake. Victory would have to wait. And nine, the sudden retreat was a mystery to all, as White noted. So these introductory points can be helpful as we get a bigger picture of this battle and what happened. So let me just give you an overview of the location of this battle. As you might know, all of our, uh, I should say, all these Civil War battlefields, the major battlefields, they're all national parks. And Manassas, in Manassas, Virginia, the battlefield there is, is one of our national parks. And 
you can go and you can visit it and walk the trails and see where the battle took place. And I've been there numerous times as I've done my research and writing the book and thinking about this battle. Uh, Obviously, it's of great interest because of Ellen White's statement about an angel ending the battle, basically, or at least beginning the retreat. So I would encourage you, as you listen to this, uh, if you're not driving or doing something where you're at home, maybe Google a map of the Manassas battlefield and take a look at it. Let me describe it briefly for you. So the battle was fought on three rolling hills known as Matthews Hill, Henry Hill, and Chin Ridge, separated by Sudley Road and the Warrington Turnpike, which form a giant cross on the terrain. So as you look, you can see four quadrants, basically, and the battle was fought in three quadrants. It began at 10 in the morning on Matthews Hill. That's in the upper right quadrant of this cross. And Irving McDowell was the commanding general, and he attempted to outflank the Confederates. They wised up, moved their powers to meet him there on Matthews Hill. There was intense fighting in the morning. And McDowell basically routed the Confederates, ran them off the field. But he stopped and waited for several hours instead of pursuing the Confederates. Many historians believe if he had pursued the Confederates, he could have taken the field. But he claimed an early victory and stopped his troops. So you had all of these men, brigades, waiting. You know, that's... A brigade had about 2,000. Um, so he had his men, this, this army, waiting on the field on Matthews Hill. He did not pursue the Confederates across Henry Hill. He could have taken them, and basically that could have ended the war. And this is one issue about the Civil War. If you really get into it, you read about the generals, you really get frustrated when you see how many battles were lost because of bad decisions generals made. And this was a bad decision McDowell made. Another general who often hesitated in battles and just frustrated Abraham Lincoln to no end was George McClellan. And I say a lot about McClellan in the book in the battles that he led in the early part of the war, um, and he was always hesitant, always pull his men back. He would fight and then pull back and never pursue the Confederates and end the war. So this was a very frustrating experience for the leaders back at Washington, particularly Abraham Lincoln. But McDowell hesitated, as many other generals, northern generals would do in, in the course of the battle. And finally in the afternoon he decided to pursue the Confederates and launch an attack on Henry Hill. Henry Hill would become the epicenter of the most intense fighting. But during that period, McDowell waited. The commanding Confederate general fed troops in from a little gap from the Shenandoah Valley into uh, Manassas here. And he fed troops And they built a massive presence on Henry Hill. So by the time McDowell finally attacked the Confederates once again, he was up against a very strong line. And so the fighting commenced in the afternoon. 
And again, I'm just summarizing it. But this battle was full. It was the first major battle of the Civil War. There were some minor battles that had taken place before this. But this was the first major battle. And it was full of confusion. Everyone was green. The commanders had had some experience before, but the the troops were essentially green. And so there was just massive confusion of of attacks and counterattacks and retreats here and retreats there and then attacks again and counterattacks and it was confusing. And as you and as you dialogue with the historians at the battlefield, which I've done numerous times, they are good historians. They know the battle. Um, but essentially they tell you, we don't know all the details because there was so much confusion in the center of the battle, particularly in its epicenter of the fighting on Henry Hill. But the general consensus is that About four in the afternoon on Henry Hill, the fighting came to an end and the troops gradually, the northern troops, gradually began to retreat off the field and then it finished with a final charge and retreat on Chin Ridge. So that's the three phases of the battle. It began in Matthews Hill, then the second phase, the epicenter, was Henry Hill and then you have uh, the winding down of the battle on Chin Ridge and by that time, all of the troops, the northern troops were retreating and they went down, they were retreating back towards Washington at a place called Cub Run. They all converge. And what is interesting, you had a host of visitors from Manassas who wanted to come and view the battle. They brought their picnics, lunches. They thought it was going to be a big scene and they thought it would be over really quickly and it would end the war, but they were in for a big surprise. And as all the troops were retreating. They clashed with all of these families, with all of these civilians, and it became massive confusion. It became an utter panic retreat all the way back to Washington. So that is the entire battle in a nutshell. But the general consensus of the historians is that around four o'clock, that's when it began to come to an end. And Ellen White's vision of the angel, and I've been through this numerous times, my theory is that it took place on Henry Hill. That's the most logical place when the beginning of the end of the battle commenced. And that's pretty much what she is describing, uh, the nature of the field. Some, uh, as I've talked to some historians, they think that really it was on Chin Ridge because you do have a very clear retreat by a brigade, uh, Union Howard's brigade uh, on Chin Ridge. But if you look at the testimonies, it seems to be Henry's Hill that the uh, where the fought where the where the battle really began to fall apart and come to an end. So what I'm going to do, uh, I I cover a lot in the chapter. I go through uh, all of the generals, commanders' testimonies, and all of that, and I talk about the Union testimonies of the end of the battle and the Confederate testimonies, and of course, I'm not going to get into that in this episode. It would obviously take way too long. So that's all in the book and fully documented. Let me just zero in here on the heart of Ellen White's vision of the retreat. And let me say, as I get into this, that you cannot absolutely prove Ellen White's version or disprove it because there was so much confusion in the battle. And even the historians don't really know the details of when it was coming to an end. But we do have numerous testimonies. These testimonies are conflicting. 
There are those that support Ellen White's version of a panic, sudden panicked retreat. And then there are many testimonies that describe a more calm type of retreat. The bottom line is this battle was massive. And each testimony is describing a simple piece of the whole battle pie, if you will. And so parts of it, I believe, were a calm retreat. Other parts of it were panicked. Ellen White is viewing only one small part. So let me uh, get into what I write in my book here. So according to her vision, at a dramatic point in the battle when the northern armies were charging under enemy fire, an angel descended and caused an immediate retreat. And here's again the heart of what she said. The southern men felt the battle and in a little while would have been driven back still further. The northern men were rushing on, although their destruction was very great. Just then an angel descended and waved his hand backward. Instantly, there was confusion in the ranks. It appeared to the northern men that their troops were retreating when it was not so in reality, and a precipitate retreat commenced. They see, this seemed wonderful to me. It should be noted at the outset that White's depiction was a snapshot of one scene on a large battlefield, as I pointed out a moment ago, with numerous military maneuvers taking place in the midst of chaos and confusion. She gave no specific indication when the retreat occurred, although it was obviously the beginning of the end of the battle as a precipitate retreat commenced, as she put it. Neither did she specify where the retreat occurred, whether on Henry Hill or Chin Ridge. Retreats, as I noted earlier, occurred on both hills. It is up to the researcher, the observer of this battle, therefore to analyze the battle from the perspective of White's brief account and determine when, where, and how the retreat happened on the battlefield if it happened at all, like she said. Because the ending of the battle was plagued by chaos and confusion, this is not an easy task. White used lay terminology to describe the military action she observed. The northern men rushing on in ranks were the regiments organized in battle lines charging the enemy. Confusion in their ranks, as she put it, obviously referred to a scattering of the battle lines and total disorganization. The retreat itself was precipitate or sudden and immediate. After beholding the excitement of battle and supernatural intervention, White's reaction is not surprising. As she said, this seemed wonderful to me. The experience was obviously an emotional one for her. It was common knowledge that the entire Northern Army retreated from the battlefield, a fact Ellen White acknowledged earlier in the testimony when she described the battle as disastrous. Retreats had already occurred periodically throughout the afternoon on both sides of the battle. The uniqueness of White's contribution here lies not in stating that the retreat occurred on the battlefield, but in pinpointing the origin of the final retreat by the Union forces. To her, the origin of the retreat that ended the battle was a supernatural cause. As she put it, an angel descended and waved his hand backward. The result was instant confusion in the northern ranks and the commencement of the precipitate retreat. None of the historical sources in the battle say anything about divine intervention by an angel, obviously. But the instant confusion and precipitate retreat were events that could be identified by those who witnessed the retreat on the battlefield. This analysis is therefore deeply interested in the critical moment when demoralization of the entire Union Army took place. Now, there are great records of the eyewitness testimonies 
as Lee Yusey put it, you've got the, the first wave of testimony, which is the official records of the Union and Confederate armies, a multi-volume set. And uh, there's one volume which deals in detail with this Battle of First Manassas, or Bull Run. The Union usually called their battles by physical places, such as the, the Creek of Bull Run here in this case, and the Confederates generally called it by the city, the Battle of First Manassas. So the second wave of, of information, as UC put it, crested six months later when a congr- congr- uh, con- congress, excuse me, congressional committee investigated Union offers. The committee's findings were published in Bull Run, Ball's Bluff Part 2 of the Report of the Joint Committee on the Conduct of the War. And the third wave of material uh, would occur later in the century, Volume 1 of the four-volume Battles and Leaders of the Civil War. I've been through these volumes in great detail and analyzed it, and of course that's all in this chapter in my book, and I'm going to skip over that material, but that's where it came from. It's very interesting. And in addition, if you go to the battlefield, you can talk with the rangers. Now, I I never, in my conversations with rangers, obviously never said anything about supernatural, an angel. Uh, that would get funny looks. And, uh, of course, I, I would encourage you, if you're an Adventist and you wonder about that, I don't know if that would be a good idea, but you can ask lots of questions about how did the battle come to an end? Was there a panic? Was there not a panic? And, again, the consensus is there was not a panic. But there are testimonies, and I document that, uh, from various angles of the battlefield uh, eyewitness testimonies of participants in the battle that there were were places of panic. And one testimony that I want to focus on in detail, I'm going to skip over all the Union leaders and Confederate commanders and all of that, and I'm going to go to one Confederate colonel named William W. Blackford. His testimony is a most interesting one and essentially parallels Ellen White. So this is one Adventists obviously have focused on. So I want to share that with you, uh, what uh, Blackford said. It's most interesting. Of all the eyewitness testimonies, Confederate Colonel William W. Blackford's description of the moment of retreat published in his book War Years with Jeb Stewart was the closest to Ellen White's version. Civil War historian Douglas S. Freeman, who edited and published Blackford's journal in 1945, set forth its significance in the book's introduction. He wrote, Every line of this narrative by Lieutenant Colonel William Willis Blackford has the feel of the cavalry corps of the Army of Northern Virginia. Authenticity is stamped on each paragraph. The historical evidence is of an eyewitness. First, as adjutant of Jeb Stewart's command, and then as chief engineer and member of the staff at Calvary headquarters, Blackford observed from his commander's side nearly all of the operations of the mounted troops from June 1861 to the end of January 1864. So according to, to Lee Yusey, those who in 1945 remembered Ellen White's description of Bull Run, written 84 years earlier, were astonished when they compared his account with hers. Here was one who saw almost as she had seen and who wrote almost as she had written. After engaging in battle throughout the afternoon, Blackford found himself, as he put it, almost perishing from thirst from the intense heat. He took his horse Comet and went towards the nearest stream. I pick up the narrative there. In the rear of the enemy, there was a small branch, and to this I determined to venture, he recalled. 
This stream of water was Young's Branch, a stream on the northern side of Chin Ridge. There he found, quote, the enemy's wounded who had crawled there to drink, and many had died with their heads in the water, the dark blood flowing into and gradually mingling with the stream, end quote. After finding a clearing in the water, he and his horse drank. He then said, It was indeed, literally, drinking the blood of our enemies, for the clearest of it was suspiciously tinted and flavored. The next sentence transported the reader immediately to the battle scene. Blackford wrote, It was now about four o'clock, and the battle raged with unbated fury. The lines of blue were unbroken, and their fire as vigorous as ever while they surged against the solid walls of gray, standing immovable on their front. End quote. Due to the compressed nature of the narrative, Blackford didn't say whether he stayed in the valley by Young's Branch or after drinking from the stream. And I, I talked to one historian who believes that what Blackford saw was a retreat on Chin Ridge. But I, I will uh, give evidence that it was, it was somewhere else. So Blackford didn't say whether he was in the valley by Young's Branch after drinking from the stream, in which case he would have seen Howard's brigade surging forward, or whether he tracked up to the top of Chin Ridge. But in the next sentence, he made it clear that he was viewing the lines of blue on Henry Hill. It was on that ridge earlier in the day Jackson won the name of Stonewall. Now, Stonewall Jackson, as he is named, is, was the most well-known, popular Confederate general who would eventually die at the Battle of Chancellorville. But Jackson, on this field, was a brave fighter and had his troops standing like a line and General B saw that and said, ah, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. And that became the name Stonewall Jackson. If you go to the battlefield, there's a, a big monument to Jackson on his horse, Stonewall Jackson. So around four o'clock, Blackford emerged atop Chin Ridge sometime before Howard's brigades arrived, further to the left and forward of Early's brigade. Now again, a brigade averaged about 2,000, anywhere from 1,800 to 2,000 soldiers. He was a, on top of the battle cyclorama. For certain points on Chin Ridge provided a broad view of the battlefield, and he was captivated by the scene. As Lee Yusey put it, the rallying federal regiments on Matthew, Matthews Hill, Sherman's million men below the Henry House Plateau, plateau and in the depressed Sudley Springs Road, and the uniform grapplers struggling with each other on the edge of Henry Green. Blackford then recorded this moving picture as if he had a photographic memory. Quote, But now the most extraordinary spectacle I have ever witnessed took place. I had been gazing at the numerous well-formed lines as they moved forward to the attack, some 15 or 20,000 strong in full view. The, uh, the actual number of Union troops on the field was much less, around 12,000. And for some reason, had turned my head in another direction for a moment when someone exclaimed, pointing to the battlefield, Look, look! I looked, and what a change had taken place in an instant, where those well-dressed, well-defined lines with clear spaces between had been steadily pressing forward. The whole field was a confused swarm of men like bees, running away as fast as their legs could carry them, with all order and organization abandoned. 
In a moment more, the whole valley was filled with them as far as the eye could reach. Now, if we parallel White's statement with Blackford's, it's very interesting. White wrote, the northern men were rushing on, although their destruction was very great. Blackford put it, the lines of blue were unbroken and their fire as vigorous as ever while they surged against the solid walls of gray, standing immovable in their front. Again, White wrote, just as an angel descended and waved his hand backward, instantly there was confusion in their ranks. It appeared to the northern men that their troops were retreating when it was not so in reality and a precipitate retreat commenced. This seemed wonderful to me. Blackford wrote, but now the most extraordinary spectacle I've ever witnessed took place. I had turned my head in another direction for a moment when someone exclaimed, pointing to the battlefield, look, look, I looked and what a change had taken place in an instant. The whole field was a confused swarm of men, like bees running away as fast as their legs could carry them, with all all order and organization abandoned. So it seems that the panic which touched off the retreat was accounted for by White, but graphically detailed by Blackford. She spied the backward wave of the angelic hand. He sensed the electric effect of it. She described confusion in the ranks. He saw a confused swarm of men like bees. She observed a precipitate retreat. He was surprised at the complete loss of military organization as the army ran off the field. And that's how Lee Yusey put it. And and I thought was quite effective the way he described it. The reports then of both Union and Confederate officers viewed together affirmed that there was no major Confederate countercharge, that the break of the main Union columns attacking Jackson was instantaneous, and that there was dissolution of military organization. As such, these reports lend support to the instant confusion and precipitate retreat in Ellen White's narrative. Now, there is something else that's most interesting here and that was a potential flanking disaster for the Federals. In White's narrative, she had described it this way, the Southern men felt the battle, and in a little while would have been driven back still further. This sentence, appearing as it does at the beginning of the narrative about White, about the angels' intervention in the battle, indicated that if God had not interfered in the battle, the Union troops would have driven the Confederates back on Henry Hill's plateau. Later, White followed up with this statement. And had the northern army in this time pushed the battle still further in their fainting, exhausted condition, the far greater struggle and destruction which awaited them would have caused great triumph in the South. This statement is battlefield accurate due to the the Confederates' interior lines. As noted above, as I said before, Johnson's reinforcements were continually arriving on the battlefield all afternoon. Had the Federals broken through Jackson's line, they would have been flanked from behind and destroyed. Although Oliver Howard's brigade and George Sykes' regulars were attempting to flank the Confederates' left, their units, as well as the others, concentrated on Henry Hill, were moment by moment coming into deadly peril because of the enemy's interior lines. Confederates Early and Elsie's brigades, Stewart's cavalry, and Holmes and Ewell's brigades, some of which were from Johnston's army fresh from train by Winchester, were concentrating heavy power in the area around Chin Ridge. These fresh troops intended to sweep down and overwhelm the Union flank and rear. The threat to the Union forces was thus very great. In other words, the idea, if you look at the the map, coming from Chin Ridge as Sherman's 
troops were advancing up on Henry Hill, had they pushed Jackson's line, broke through, instead of retreating, they would have been hit from behind, flanked from behind, and utterly destroyed. And it would have been a total victory for the Confederates. And they could have taken the, the gone to, to Washington, possibly taken Washington. History would be different. But instead, there was this massive retreat off the field. Beauregard, the commanding general, the Confederate army on Manassas, he confirmed this idea when he stated that, quote, if the enemy had remained on the field till the arrival of Ewell and Holmes, they would have been so strongly outflanked that many who escaped would have been destroyed or captured, end quote. According to Ellen White's supernatural perspective, God would not permit this and sent an angel to interfere. So from the human perspective, however, the federal retreat was, according to Confederate General Edward P. Alexander, a great escape. He wrote, Never did an enemy make a cleaner escape out of such an exposed position after such an utter rout. So Ellen White's perspective is, the angel saved the Union troops. They were humiliated, a punishment for compromising with the South and slavery, yet they were preserved. And that retreat back to Washington saved them. And what's interesting, a massive rain came after this battle. And the Confederate army was not able to pursue all of these retreating Union soldiers, this Union army. And so they were not able to go to Washington and take it. Very interesting, the, the role of the weather in many battlefields like that. Strategic storms and rains that, that saved battles, changed the outcome of battles. Most interesting. If we take Ellen White's perspective, we could see all of that as, as divine intervention. So the t- retreat, as noted by Ellen White, as well as the newspapers of the day, according to the Union, it was a mystery. Um, the, the retreat of all the the, the army off the bat, the Union army off the battlefield was a mystery. And you read the testimonies of commanders, they they would shout and yell and plead, persuade, and threaten their their soldiers to get back on the battlefield. But they just were demoralized. They just left. Many walked off the battlefield, and others, of course, ran off the battlefield. Some were panicked, some were not. But nothing the Union commanders could do could get those soldiers back into battle. So what started all that? Well, it was just described as a mystery. General Winfield Scott expressed the mystery in a letter dispatched at 1 o'clock in the morning on Monday, July 22, to General George McClellan. He wrote, After fairly beating the enemy and taking three of his batteries, a panic seized McDowell's army. Now, he takes the the position, and this was the commanding general of the army at the time, the Union Army, that it, it, it was panicked. He says, a panicked seized McDowell's army, and it is in full retreat on the Potomac, a most unaccountable transformation into a mob of finely appointed and admirably led army, end quote. Federal officer Lewis Blinker explained in his report that the Confederates were retreating, he said, and, at the, and that the Northern retreat was a panic all at once. There was a panic which nobody can explain. So these are some of the testimonies that describe a panic as what Colonel Blackford saw and what Ellen White described supernaturally. According to Walt Whitman, 
The retreat and loss of the battle was a terrible shock to the North. Each side supposed it had won, he pondered, till the last moment. One had in point of fact just the same right to be routed as the other. By a fiction, he wrote, or a series of fictions, that is, he means stories, the national forces at the last moment exploded in a panic and fled from the field. So Whitman expresses a consensus of the public that this this was related, this retreat was related to a panic. And again, many say the panic did not begin until the uh, at Cub Run, the retreat, uh, as they got into the retreat towards Washington. Again, you have, as I said, conflicting testimonies. So by attributing the panic retreat to a fiction or a series of fictions, Whitman captured the unexplainable nature of the retreat. There were so many stories of what happened that it was best explained as a mystery. But to Ellen White and her audience, there was no mystery. God's hand was in the matter. Whereas most in the North thought it was a terrible defeat for the Federal Army, she understood the retreat as deliverance. The angel had delivered the Northern Army from total destruction and humbled them at the same time. They would live to fight again, for God would not suffer victories to be gained faster than He ordained and would permit no more losses to the northern men than in His wisdom He saw fit to punish them for their sins. So let me conclude. The participants in the thick of the fight on Henry Hill did their best to describe what they saw as it all came to a sudden end. Some of their reports support Ellen White's precipitate retreat, while others offer a different version. Due to the conflicting nature of the reports and confusing nature of the battle's end, more than one interpretation is possible. Those who discount the supernatural attribute the sudden retreat of the Federals to natural causes in the ebb and flow of battle. White's interpretation of the battle's end is strictly a supernatural one and is best understood and appreciated when viewed from that perspective. In the end, I've argued that Ellen White's description of what she saw was a plausible explanation for the retreat on Henry Hill, and it harmonized with several reports of the participants on the battlefield. To all Christians who accept God's intervening providence in the affairs of humankind, Ellen White's words, God had this nation in his own hand, offer great encouragement. Encouragement that we certainly need today as we ponder the geopolitics in our world meaning of this statement, God had this hand, this nation in his own hand, and how it played out in the battles of the Civil War will be the subject of the next episode. Thanks for listening.